Welcome to the Risk Guru Podcast. Join your host, Matt Hodges-Long, in conversation with gurus from all over the world of governance, risk, and compliance. Come on, Matt, let's go. My guest today is Garrett Cassidy, CEO and founder of Trezio. So welcome to the Risk Guru, Risk Guru Podcast. Thanks, Matt. Great to be here. Excellent. So um, tell us, if you can, Gareth, a little more firstly about what Trezio does as a business. So Trezio is really all about bringing kind of financial safety net and financial protection to self-employed and gig workers. So massively growing sector, traditionally and for a long time have been outside of those kind of traditional protections that an employer provides. So it's about helping them, you know, effectively de-risk their lives as well, um, but bringing that whole safety net that's badly needed. Okay, and is that just in the UK or? So starting in the UK, so we're, we're currently live in the UK with um, kind of transport drivers, uh, about, to, about to kick off a large project in the care sector, but our ambition is then to ca- take it beyond the UK once, once we've embedded in the UK, start to scale into Europe beyond and, and beyond. Fantastic, so if I'm a, a gig worker, how are you helping me, as this is the Risk Guru yep. podcast, how are you helping me manage risk in my day-to-day life? So, so the first biggest risk that a lot of self-employed and gig workers have is they don't know how much they're gonna earn any week. So we, the first thing we do is help them manage that kind of variable income and, and give, them a, give them a platform and a tool that effectively smooths that income to their, to their average income by automatically saving for, the, uh, saving for them and also then recycling that saving and uh, we're also a lender and we underwrite um, cre- you know, small amounts of credit as part of it on a subscription basis so the actual credit's interest free so that they actually have that kind of baseline foundation to start you know, de-risking their head as much as anything else. Um, but importantly as well, they're seen as in a lot of cases as ununderwritable by traditional credit. So it's actually you're using technology to help that help actually underwrite underwrite these customers and help them build their traditional uh, credit piece. That's kind of the core piece. We've now started adding insurance, so they're also now protected um, with a personal accident kind of income protection policy. So if they can't work because of accident, well, actually then they have a they have a bit of protection. So again, they're they're not they're they're worrying less about what if what if what if. And do you find you have to do a lot of um, education with people around uh, getting them to understand risk or? or people kind of intrinsically know that? What, what I, I think find? they probably don't, they wouldn't think of it in that term of risk. They they probably think of it more in financial stress and just kind of that stress of, of managing day-to-day, week-to-week and living effectively payment-to-payment. Um, and I think that's that's the key piece. So some of it's about just lifting them, lifting them up out of that and our kind of longer-term ambition is that as, as we start building that foundation, it starts creating the headspace so they can then start thinking about longer term risks. So that's how do they plan for you know saving for things they want or to protect themselves against other things. That's life insurance, that might be pensions for retirement or just saving for a holiday. So it's just, yeah. you know, at the moment, a large number of people spending all of the mental capacity they have for money just managing the here and now. So back in the day, I, I originally, I don't know whether you know this, I started off in, in construction. Yeah. And we used to have um, guys that were working on the site, many guys, the laborers and bricklayers mm. and people like that, and they were paid a day rate. Yeah. And um, it always used to puzzle me it's at the time when I sort of say to them, well, you know, you, you've worked for five weekends in a row, you know, you're working seven days a week, what are you doing? And they'd sort of look at you strangely and say, well, sort of, 
the sun's out, I need the money. Uh, and it was, but it, what it led them to, if, if, if the weather stayed nice for a long time, they would really overwork. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder what, how that translates now into the gig economy in terms of people sort of saying, make hay while the sun shines. Do you end up with people that are just working themselves to death or there's do people actually, have a balance? There's actually one that, there's, there's, there's some of that, but actually there's an, another interesting one, and it's come out of the taxi industry originally where people, one ways of coping with variable income is setting a daily target, which actually creates a slightly counterintuitive issue of they work less when it's the, almost the opposite to that. Right. They may work less when it's busy and then they're out for much longer trying to get work when the work's not there because that's their way of managing that kind of variability of I need to make a hundred pounds a day. When they make, okay, when they make 120, they might in a really busy day, they might make it really quickly. When actually one of the things that's a longer term thing is clearly on a busy day, well, if they do their extra few hours, they can make the money to take the day off when it's quiet. So the, the, the construction one is probably a, a bit of actually that correctness to some, you know, of, of actually if, if weather is right and they know they're going to have days they don't get paid, well, they're making the money when, they're, when they can. But actually, that's not what everyone does. A lot of the time, people will just set themselves a target. But you do see a lot. You do also do see the overworking, working on multiple platforms, working until they basically can't work. But what you also see, if you take the risk side, is they will work through any, any they will literally work as long as they're physically capable to, whether they're sick or whatever. And what you actually find is it's when a family member has a problem. So the yeah. worker themselves will work through being sick unless they just can't do it. But actually, a lot of times, the self-employed person in the family is the one with the flexibility. So when the child is sick, they're the one who has to stay home. And therefore, they can't control that. They haven't got a buffer. And therefore, they're stressing about what if tomorrow I can't work? What if my motorbike breaks down tomorrow? What if my kid is sick and I have to take the day off? How am I going to make my rent next Wednesday when my payment is a, is a day short? Yeah. What happens to, to people in this sort of environment where, from a from a credit worthiness perspective? You know, I mean, do they can they access credit markets generally, or are in they general, untouchable? In general, no. So in general, they are relying on friends and family, you know, unapproved, you know, excess overdrafts, which at least are not qu are getting not quite as bad as they were, and at extreme payday loans. Um, so that they and and it's not that they're necessarily. Um, not that they're necessarily a bad risk, they just don't fit in the box. They don't have an employee, you know, they don't have the things that the system was set up for, uh, you know, being an, um, you know, having an employer, having a steady pay, a steady salary. And it's almost in, a, in countries like the UK with credit scoring, it's almost you can never get on the ladder. So you can't get your first bit of credit, which is what's the most important thing to start yeah. building that track record. So it's, you're almost blocked out and getting on the ladder with a payday loan is, is, is negative. So, because payday loans are looked at as a, if you have to go to payday loans, then you can't get any of the credit, therefore it's a negative indicator. If you're one of these people who can't get any of the other credit, then it's their only choice. Excellent. And it kind of create, it just, it just perpetuates a vicious cycle. Yeah, to get, uh, to get trapped into it. Yeah. So are you, um, so you're an FCA regulated firm? Yeah, so we're a, we're a full permission credit firm and a payment firm um, here, here in the UK from the FCA in order to offer, offer the credit. We partner with an e-money firm who holds, who holds funds um, and then we have a number of partnerships with insurers to actually provide insurance. Excellent. 
and how are things going? So how far into this are you? So from, right from now we, we're at the we're kind of coming to we're kind of towards the so we're live with an early set of paying customers and we're just about to make the transition into starting to scale. So we've signed our key our key route to these customers is actually through uh, companies they work for, platforms, contracting companies, and we're both they that's both helping them recognize the risks that their workers have but it's also recognizing risks for them retention attraction and the the emerging policy risks about first of all being seen to do the right thing before maybe they're forced to do the right thing so actually them recognizing they have an obligation and providing them with a way of actually satisfying that yeah that's no, fantastic. It's definitely a, a growth market. So as, as we're talking about risk, and you know, I, I like risk, I like technology, etc. Mm. As part of this podcast, is sort of learn, help people learn things they don't know already. What, what, how do you make use of technology within your business to help either manage risk within your own mm. company or manage help your customers so manage their own risks? The technology is fundamental to being able to offer these services. So, you know. We can talk about traditional institutions ignoring this sector. They're too expensive to serve with traditional approaches. That's the challenge. Yeah. You know, the traditional approaches and, and, and legacy technology and legacy processes just, just can't adjust as easily to this. So by coming with fresh technology, using open banking, using you know, traditional credit files, using deep data on their income, we're able to actually you know, look at the customers differently. We're using psychometric scoring. So we take a much broader view of the customers in, you know, at, at a credit level first yeah. to actually understand whether they're actually a good risk or a bad risk. Um, and we then also use technology to be able to reach them, service them. And then, you know, as we we're at the early stages of this piece, as we scale using technology to manage that risk, monitor it, create nudges for the customers when they're going off track, you know, and it's you know it's both on the pure credit side, but then it's also for the customer themselves. You know, creating the kind of technology and models to help them understand how they're doing against their income. So, are they on track? Are they not? Yeah. So that's a some of that some of that exists on a kind of a subscale at the moment, and that's where we want to leverage technology as we scale to make the make this population genuinely serviceable at scale. Um, you know, in, so will, in a will you step over way. into advising, uh, actually providing advice at some point? Not or you sort of no, no. Our, our, the the intention is to provide that kind of nudge and guidance. Yeah. Um, you know, we will we will almost certainly work with people. You know, the 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 core customers we're looking at are you know actually having to go through that complex advice journey is actually one of the biggest barriers to them taking things. Yeah. So if they think about a pension, it's a big heavy-duty process of talking to an advisor, working through all of that, versus an employee even ignoring auto-enrollment, just going, there's a company scheme, put 5% in, please, default it, and then, you know, and then when, I'm, when, I'm, when I've started to build something up, I can start. There's the, it doesn't get away from the fact that there is an engagement piece that's needed, but at least gets them started saving, mm -hmm. and then you know, the pension companies have their advisors who can help people with that. So that's kind of how we think about it. Yes, in due course, we'll almost certainly probably partner with people who have those kind of advisory platforms so that as customers transition up that kind of value chain of finance, then they, the right solution is there for them. And generally, do you, do you see average income rising across the platform or, or you know, where does it, where's the market going? Or do you just end we up with a point where there's an infinite number of people that will come into it and it suppresses the... The, the average income per, per worker? Uh, to be honest, it's completely sectorally dependent. 
the project, the big partner, the partner we just we announced a couple of weeks ago, Labour Exchange, that we're working with in the care sector. Actually, one of the intentions for them is to help people increase their income. So it's people who have a certain amount of committed work, whether that's employment or agency or whatever, but them giving them, so one, uh, without the benefits, so that we're bringing protection to that, yeah. but then giving them the ability to access more work. So it's tackling the underemployed piece. That's kind of one piece. We don't have the sufficient scale yet to be able to give anybody any indication of, of how incomes are going. Um, uh, we are seeing, we have in our, in our small population seen some interesting shifts over a few months between platforms for, for some of our users that they've actually moved, move, you know, that most of them are on multiple platforms, multiple sources, but they've actually quite noticeably moved their shift to a different platform. And when we dug out of different platforms offering slightly better terms, and therefore they've moved with it. They haven't given up on the other platforms, but they've moved their focus to earn on so that. So that competition could actually yeah. become inflationary. Yes. To yeah. to the cost oh, of, yeah. the, so, of the. So so we've th they've gone to a platform. There most of them, a lot of them migrated to a platform, and we're seeing their income on that platform is higher than it would have been previously. So so and that again goes to our thesis as to why there is genuine competition for work. So therefore, providing yeah. benefits is also important. Yeah. And there's okay. pure pay rates, but then a lot of people will value the fact as well that there are benefits. A lot of platforms and contracting agencies don't want to just inflate the end income because they want the money to be spent on benefits. So therefore, there's an opportunity for this kind of portable benefit piece. But we want to do it in a way that it is the workers' benefits. As they move through this fluid piece of between platforms, they're not having to worry about, I leave that platform, I lose my benefits. They might lose a subsidy they have for the benefits, yeah. but it's still theirs. So they that one pound on. of benefit yeah, could, yeah. could cost you 50 pence yeah, as exactly, an end user. Exactly, and now yeah. it's going to cost you a pound. Now for it's going to cost you a pound, and you can yeah. make that judgment call, I'm going to another platform who are paying me more, and therefore I can cover it, or I'm going to another platform who are also, who are also giving me a subsidy. So it's, you can make that call, and you're not worried, you're not locked in tightly that actually I lose all of this cover when I move. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. I mean, I've, I've lost benefits before moving yeah. companies, and yeah. it's... Uh, yeah, it's a certainly a consideration. Yeah, and and in this world where people are working for two or three sources at any point in time, two or three people at any point in time, they're constantly shifting that. So e the individual platform providing the benefits isn't actually that helpful because it also creates all sorts of gaps because they have to create qualifying rules. Mm. That you know, you, you know, and and it's quite it's, there are examples in insurance where there's qualifying rules which are make absolutely make a lot of sense, but I mean somebody working across multiple platforms can get caught in a situation where they're not insured on the platform, they're not insured by the platform who they're working for at the moment they have the accident. Yeah, yeah, considerable gaps. Yeah. So just conscious of, of time, yeah. it's been a really great chat. I mean, just in terms of sort of busting myths, um, what's the, in your work life, what's the biggest myth you've seen relating to governance, risk and compliance, or governance, risk or compliance, or any of any combination of the, that you actually think, do you know what, people all think this is true, but you know, it's not. Um, uh, I suppose we're a regulated firm, yeah. so it's probably it is slightly different because you know governance, risk, and compliance has to be at the absolute core of everything we do. Um, probably, which which actually probably for us then the stuff that other companies and startups might struggle with and not be doing is the easy stuff, the basic kind of company compliance type stuff. Yeah. So that's but I'm not sure it's a myth. Um, the myth. I mean, it's, I suppose one of the myths is that you know you can't innovate around compliance with with the rules and regulations. Yeah. So, 
and you will be told how things don't work and how products don't work. We're, we're a consumer credit firm. Consumer Credit Act is older than me. Uh, when we were putting the product together and, the and we, we had to do a lot of legal work, but we had to push really hard because everybody told us the product wouldn't fit within the rules. And we pushed and pushed and pushed and said, okay, the rules don't make sense, but actually without changing the rules because it's a danger, you'll never do that. We did get to a point where everybody got, where, where we, you know, we had to go all the way to senior counsel. Yes, we, we methodically went through how we could make it work within the rules. Yeah. And that helped them when we went to the FCA because they weren't able to work it out either. So we'd had, we'd done the pre-work. But so that's one of the myths is regulation is always a barrier. Yes, there are challenges, but you just have to look at, look at it very, you basically have to look at it and look at the product, look at the regulation and just effectively iterate on how you can actually yeah. do it. I think there's definitely, yeah. from what I've seen across lots of industries, a sort of a, a temptation just sort of computer says no, you yeah, know, exactly. sort of, well, you know, exactly. can't do it, health and safety, can't do yeah, it, yeah. Re compliance, regulate, yeah. whatever. And then when you actually ask the question, well, why, where, yeah. Yeah. what? you start to get some yeah. ambiguity and, 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 and I think and as long as you can yeah. justify what, yeah. what you've And done. if you're in a large organisation it's completely it's completely understandable why you know pushing that boundary is much harder mm. there's a lot more on the line so if you're a startup a, you know a small company or you've spun a team out of a larger organisation and giving them mandate to go and you know test we are very very clear we work within the rules we we have a very strong governance but that doesn't mean when we're trying to do something innovative, you're not bumping up against the edges. Yeah. You're, and, and, but we do that and then we recognize when we then, you know, we're very clear if we know when we're bumping against the edges, we make sure we get the right advice. You know, you're in a safe area, you can kind of do it yourself. We know when we're, there's certain areas of our product that when we know when we're playing with them, we know we have to go back to the lawyers to make sure we're, yeah. we're, st we're not breaking something of the thing that we've actually put together. Yeah, that's a great point, I yeah. think, about taking expert advice yeah. and valuing that advice yeah. and understanding it's not yeah. cheap, but it, yeah, it, it's, it's going to save you in the long run. Yeah, it's, 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 it's painful and hard, but, but it, you, know, it, you, you have to do it because otherwise you, well, it, it speeds the process as well. So we had to go through a regulatory process that credit piece, we, you know, we got support from FCA through Innovate, but there's only so far they could go because they needed to see stuff to make the lawyers to, to make the judgment. Therefore, we actually had to go through the work ourselves uh, to actually get, get it done. Yeah. yeah. Well, that kind of takes me into mm. my, my last question, really, which is looking at government. Uh, okay, you, you span Irish government and, and British government, but so we talk call about governments. Um, what more could they be doing to help? Regulators, citizens, companies like yourselves manage risk better. I and mean, where where should they be spending their money? What should they be worried about in in the sectors that that you work with? The thing that would so one of the things that worries me, as many things, is we're a small financial institution subject to a not bank level regulation, but an enormous spectrum of regulation. It's not just financial. Like you and we're we're at, we're we're very conscious of a lot of this. But there's almost certainly things we're not touching as a small company. I, I just don't know how most small businesses, like we're, we're building ourselves to scale, so we know we have to have it. How small businesses make sure they're, you know, they can keep up and be compliant with all of the different regulations. So it's how you create something that helps people, helps companies recognize what's relevant to them. In the financial world, that's potentially the regulators helping turn what is a completely impenetrable FCA handbook that you, you know, which fine, we know our own very clear source book part of it ourselves, our own one, 
but we're also hit by pretty much every other one and it's mm. much harder to keep track of changes and there's constantly changes going on so it's that kind of re i mean the fca have been very good at start at, at engaging with the innovation but there is that step then of how do you help companies make sure they stay compliant you know companies with all of the best intentions you know, you may just miss, you know, the, the, there's just so much changing so fast that you may miss something that's relevant. So yeah. I don't know the solution, but how, how do you help credit firms know that, are, that a change over here that you may not, have been, may not have been aware of actually has a very big relevance? That is the very big changes you always know about because there's a very clear, you know, senior management regime, things like that. But there's small tweaks going on all the time yeah. that you've no chance of seeing and reality is the only chance I'd say most of them could get picked up is in an audit. And even then they might not get picked up yeah. or in a customer complaint or something. They'll, they'll, get, they'll get unpicked at some point down the road. Yeah, I mean, we've certainly seen yeah. a lot of smaller companies where they've just been unaware. They've, they might yeah. be aware of their own regulatory yeah. code, but they're not aware of health and safety law, for yeah, example, yeah. or modern slavery or all the other things that... <laughs> we've just gone through some of that. We're, right. a, we're a fully regulated business, and of course you're going, health, yeah, well, yeah, health and safety, modern slavery, they didn't come in our compliance pack from a regulatory point of view, but every company needs them. Yes. Um, and it was, for a low-risk low business in all of them, it was actually quite difficult to even just off-the-shelf find, a, yeah, that's actually what we do. You know, a standard standard guide and standard policy that you need. Um, the information, the data protection side is a bit better. You know, ICO does a lot of work. Other data protection agencies do a lot of work providing that kind of guidance and information so you can very quickly put that together. Mm. But I don't think there's an equivalent for, well, health and safety authority probably do, but you know, it's kind of, but you've just got so many different There ones. are, there's yeah. lots of different silos, yeah, lots yeah. of different regulators yeah, yeah. and lots of places to trip up. Yeah. Um, and I think, to answer your first question, from what I've seen, a lot of people find out the hard way. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, that's the only or, way you find out in a lot of cases. Yeah, we, 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 we've picked up some gaps. We, we, we they're, not, they're not high risk gaps, but we've picked them up in terms of diligence with large organizations. Can you, you know, confirm you have this, this, and this, and we're going through our, our compliance manual. No, we don't have that. We don't have yeah. that. We don't have that. Right, let's, what let's do it. What the heck is this thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and we, we then went off and actually, yeah, put in place very simple policies, but they're very simple ones, but it was just that kind of checklist and you know that may maybe it's maybe it is some of that that maybe companies house has some more obligation just to at least inform people that here's a list of things that all ordinary companies need to be thinking about yeah um i don't, I don't know how that's best done but it's you know it, it's you know there's some mechanism they do the tax piece automatically already so are there are there five other things they should be telling companies about um now i know it falls back to directors of training and knowledge and all that but you know, in the best will in the world, lots of people set companies up and, yeah. and, and yes, have all of the best intentions, but still don't know all those things. There's, there's no test to become exactly. a director, is there? Exactly. So I think we've run out of time. Yeah. So I just want to say thanks so much, Garrett. It's been yeah. brilliant. Really enjoyed it. Um, want to wish you and Trezio the best of luck for the future as you, as you go forward. And, and really, lastly, just ask you, how can people find out more about you and about Trezio, the so company? So find out about Trezio at our website, trezio.com, T-R-E-Z-E-O. Uh, at me on LinkedIn is, my, is the best place to find me. Um, you'll find me pretty quickly on LinkedIn. Fantastic. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Risk Guru podcast. Don't forget to subscribe for future episodes via riskgurupodcast.com or your favorite podcast player.